Darkness is not an affirmative force. It simply reoccupies the space vacated by the light. This is the Hamilton Quarter on American Family Radio. It should be uncomfortable for a believer to live as a hypocrite. Delivering people out of the bondage of mainstream media and the philosophies of this world. God has called you and me to be his ambassadors. Even in this dark moment, let's not miss our moment. And now, the Hamilton Quarter. All right, everybody, Kevin Jackson sitting in for Abraham Hamilton III on this glorious day that the God that God has given us, the God. Yeah, the only God. Thanks for having me back. Uh, glad you guys are hanging in there. The audience is back again. I'm not sure if some of you are back because you heard I was uh, uh, going to be on again. I believe a lot of people just like uh, what Abraham Hamilton, Hamilton III has to say because I just hear his intro and I want to hear more about him. Anyway, you guys are all purdy in a mess of fried catfish. That's what we would say to you in the country. And I know I don't need to see you to know that. I know that because I know who you are. I know who you are as Christians. I know who you are as conservatives. Uh, my show is the KevinJacksonShow.com for those of you who want to take a peek at my work after the fact. And I do want to promote, uh, we're going to be showing a Bleeding Blue Movie.com uh, is a movie that we made about policing and it's going to debut on the internet soon. So if you want to jot those two things down, you'll certainly, uh, you won't be disappointed, I don't think. My theme for the day is freedom. And as conservatives, we speak of freedom in this very esoteric form because we've known freedom our entire lives. We don't think of it the way other people think of it. When a Cuban says, I'd like freedom, it's different than us. We, I'm telling you, we know it, we understand it, it's part of our DNA. But I will tell you this, until now, this is the first time I feel like I'm about to have a Michelle Obama moment. For the first time in my adult life, <laughs> I have. I should say I haven't felt completely free. And as a descendant of slaves, <laughs> it almost makes me cry to, to, to say that I'm not free in America. And I'll explain, and I'm going to be explaining that for the, the whole hour. But spikes in the woo flu, which is what I call it, COVID, but there are no spikes in death, yet the country remains on lockdown and your life has changed. You are now wearing a mask. Many places it's required to wear the mask. I don't wear it. And now there are these things that I call mask wars. There, I had a lady tell me at the airport, I'm not supposed to serve you if you don't have your mask. I mean, I felt like Rosa Parks. Christopher Steele is got a fabricated dossier and, and he's now have to, he has to pay damages for this. But Hillary Clinton, who used that dossier in order to thwart a legitimate election, and you know all the details around that with Comey and, and all the other uh, crooked players in the Obama administration, and yet none of them are being held accountable for this. It's a double standard. So I'm gonna, I want us to analyze freedom a bit today. And there's a saying about freedom that no man should be another man's master. But as I look at everything going on around us, I see Everybody wanting to be the master of us. I see the people that we employ, the president, the vice president, the Congress, all of them, we employ them and I see them wanting to be our masters. We don't want to be masters over them. We, we elect them as representatives, go out, do our will as a democratic republic and as a God-fearing nation, go out and do the right thing, guys. That's all we ask you. 
It doesn't always benefit us. There are times when we've said, you know what? I don't mind that fee. I don't mind that tax. I don't mind that rule or that regulation because we all get it. But you know what these people do now? They don't care. They don't care about you. They have become people that want to hold dominion over us. And as I mentioned the other day, the biggest form of abuse is self-abuse. And boy, do we as God-fearing Christian conservatives self-abuse. We're good at it. We relinquish on our own points of view in order to placate the secular horde. These people come out, they criticize us, they mock Jesus, they mock you for, for believing in God. They call you silly for believing in God. They, they do everything they can to insult you, to insult what you believe, and we take it. We relinquish our points, folks, because it's an easy thing to do. But what you're relinquishing is you're relinquishing your freedom. You wonder why you can't talk about religion. You can't talk about politics. You're not supposed to talk about sex. I would ask you this. What are the three things that we've lost in the last few decades? Have we lost the religious battle? We're certainly losing it. Are we losing the political battle? Are we losing the battle on sexuality? I would say we are because we don't engage. We let them have their point of view and we just say, you know what? No, I, I, while I differ, it's okay. No, it isn't. It isn't your, okay. Your opinion is as valid as anybody else's. And when you have these little micro battles and you lose those micro battles, understand this, you are losing a bit of your freedom. Freedom of religion, freedom of worship, freedom of, here it comes, thought. And the best way to steal somebody's freedom is to demoralize them. You hear things like white guilt. You hear things like white privilege. You know, they, uh, people tell us that we're racist, that we're sexist, and, and all these other things. We're homophobic. These are all things that we are not. But let me tell you, the left is doing a pretty good job of scaring themselves. They're pretty scared. All over the world, their, their lies are the very chickens that are coming home to roost. Joe Biden is their candidate. That's a scary thought. I don't know how you feel about Trump. I don't know how you feel about politics in general. But I'll tell you this. I'd rather have Donald Trump who has probably done more to protect religious freedom than anybody I'm aware of, any president I'm aware of. I'd rather have him, a guy who's willing to stand up to the swamp, who's willing to expose what's been happening to us, to the people that report to us, than I would Joe Biden. And, it, and I will tell you, again, I'm not, I don't know what your politics are. I, I, I suspect I know. But you have to just think of the level of desperation that somebody has to have to want Joe Biden to be their leader. I was thinking if you held a concert in your backyard, you'd pull the blinds. But things are far worse for Democrats. And I'm going to give you an example. Just recently, Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling and a cognitive scientist by the name of Noam Chomsky and about 150 other people signed a document that talked about we need to have a free exchange of ideas. 
that that fact that we're not able to have that has become more constrictive in this day and time than any other time. They said we need a reckoning on racial and social justice. And they're saying, while we have come to ex expect this on the radical right, since seriousness is also spreading more widely in our culture. Now, here's what's interesting. It isn't done on our side. We are more than willing to engage. I don't I don't know of any conservatives that, that aren't ready to engage. I know conservatives that are ready to speak at any given time and debate an idea without being upset about it, without being too sanctimonious, etc. They're ready to go. So it's them and they're saying it and they're finally recognizing it. And here's what they go on to say. They say they expected from us, but they're saying now it's happening to them. And they said an intolerance of opposing views, a vogue for public shaming and ostracism and the tendency to dissolve complex policy issues into blinding moral certainty. What they're saying, folks, is they call us dogmatic. They call us sanctimonious. They call us all these different things. And you know what? It is they who are everything they call us. Another form of transference to make you believe you've got the problem. That's what anybody who bully does. That's what abusers do. It's the same thing. Is that my guess, by the way, this call in? Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to have you bring him in because I can't see. Uh, I see two lines there. I want to bring on one of my friends. Uh, he's holding a, in a, a, a big event. It's called IranFreedom.org. And I'm talking about freedom today. And th these are our Iranian expatriates who are going to hold a major event on July the 17th. And I've got Shaheen Gobadi on for a few minutes just to talk a little about the event, because I usually go to Paris every year to uh, celebrate this event with them, because Iran is a major sponsor of terror. And these people, they are fighting for their freedom. So, uh, Shaheen, glad you could spend a little time with me. Oh, thank you, Kevin, and uh, thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity, and uh, God bless you and your listeners. Thank you. So go ahead and, and tell everybody uh, what's going on and kind of the state of things in Iran, because there was some nuclear explosion. It uh, looks like there was an explosion, rather, at the nuclear plant there, one of the major plants where the centrifuges are. And obviously, Iran's in a state of turmoil. So we got a couple of minutes. Let's talk a bit about it. Sure. Obviously, Iran is in a state of turmoil, uh, particularly, I would say, since November of uh, 2019, where millions of Iranians are out there demanding regime change and the regime uh, shot them in broad daylight, it's rather evident that Iranians want freedom and nothing but freedom, and they are willing to pay the price. So in that context, on July 17th, there's going to be this massive, massive, uh, probably the biggest ever uh, virtual gathering uh, from thousands of locations in five continents that Iranians, tens of thousands of them and their international supporters, and hundreds of uh, politicians, uh, including many, many prominent Americans, including Rudy Giuliani, Joseph Lieberman, members of Congress, uh, U.S. senators, and a, a host list of others, will join in to say, look, Iranians want regime change by themselves and by the resistance, led by the People's Mujahideen Organization of Iran. And also, they would like to warn the international community, about the Iran's uh, nefarious conduct, particularly terrorism, and ask uh, for the world to adopt a resolute policy 
and a stand by the Iranians. And this event, as I said, is massive because people are going to be connected from thousands of locations from five continents all at the same time and um, joined by, as I said, hundreds of uh, distinguished uh, political dignitaries, and which is an event uh, unique uh, of its kind. And in places like Washington, in Berlin, where uh, people can gather, Iranians will gather before uh, historical monuments like in Washington before the U.S. Capitol to join the international gathering. So in that sense, uh, it's a very, very unique event. And if people want to know more about it, they can go to iranfreedom.org, which is the website of the event, and see uh, more about it and get more oriented about the... Well, I know, I know it's going to be on... I know it's going to be on 9.30 Eastern until about 1 p.m. on July the 17th. And I've been to this event, folks, uh, in Paris a couple of times and uh, kind of helped uh, put some things together with Shaheen. And it's a group of amazing people who really are freedom-loving uh, people that merely want Iran to go back to the way things were, where they were a sovereign nation and the people govern the nation as opposed to what happened in the... Uh, in 1980, when the mullahs took over. So listen, um, I, I apologize, Shaheen, for having limited time, but I do, I did want to at, le at least let you come in and say a few words to the audience because it's a very large audience, and I hope they will support you guys. So thanks for the call, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Okay. Thank you so much. And as I said once again, the website is IranFreedom.org, and this movement is led by woman Madam Maryam Rajavi, who has a 10-point plan for freedom of Iran. So I think a lot of your listeners will be interested to know Iranians are standing up for their own freedom and uh, they will uh, enjoy any moral support that uh, U.S. people can give them. And thank you for the opportunity. Okay. Thanks again, Shaheen. So, yeah, Marian uh, Rajavi, I actually got a chance to meet her. It's a woman that's running an organization that's fighting for freedom in Iran. Hey, listen, Kevin Jackson, you're listening to, if you want to call the show, 888-589-8840. We're going to be talking about freedom today. And I hope that uh, you are interested in freedom. And I want to get your definition of what you believe that freedom is and is it being infringed upon. We'll be back. Virginia governor has discriminated against this church. I am Matt Staver with Freedom's Call. Lighthouse Fellowship Church filed its opening brief to the Court of Appeals in its federal lawsuit against Governor Northam. He violated its religious freedom by targeting churchgoers on Palm Sunday. Liberty Council represents the church. Under the orders, the church can hold meetings with an unlimited number of people to feed, shelter, and provide social services. Yet religious services are restricted to no more than 10 people. Police served a summons to the pastor for a church service with 16 people spaced far apart in a sanctuary that is rated for almost 300 people. The pastor now faces up to a year in jail and up to $2,500 in fines. Yet businesses in the area are filled with people. Churches have a constitutional right to exist. Governor Northam needs to take his hands off these churches. 
Stay informed at Liberty Council's website, lc.org. You know, it's true. Difficult times have a way of focusing us. We have to think about what matters most when it comes to our spending, our health care. No doubt. This is why so many people are joining MediShare right now. MediShare is a trusted way to save up to 50% on your monthly health care costs. More than 400,000 people have already made the switch. It's pretty obvious why, too, especially now during this challenging season with health care costs and out-of-pocket expenses going up. MediShare can save you a lot of money. The typical family saves $500 a month. And MediShare is a Christian healthcare sharing ministry that's worked beautifully for 27 years. There are different options to choose from to fit your budget. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Maybe now is the perfect time to make the switch and start saving. Here you go. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Brian Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. The 2016 study explored whether marital status and family structure in childhood are linked with different rates of mortality across the lifespan and whether the benefits of marriage are modified by family structure in childhood. The results show that adults who lived with both biological parents in childhood had a lower risk of death than children who did not, and that married individuals had significantly lower levels of mortality than widowed individuals. Good marriages, in other words, build longer and happier lives. I've made a modest contribution to strengthening marriages through my Boy to Man book. It's for fathers to read with their 12-year-old sons and has chapters on dating, how to find a wife, and how to build a strong family life. Order your copy today at afastore.net. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. Shining light into the darkness, this is the Hamilton Corner on American Family Radio. Kevin Jackson, formerly of Fox News, I was a contributor in case you recognize the voice. And I'm sitting in for Abraham Hamilton III, the Hamilton Corner. I appreciate Abraham for letting me do that. We Christ followers have nothing to be ashamed of. We are all sinners and unworthy of the grace of God. But if we're going to measure by earthly standards, let me tell you something, folks. We're the best people. We're the best humans on the planet. The leftists are the worst. And I'm not saying that because I want to appease the audience. I'm not trying to put us against them. I'm just telling you. That is a fact. If let me, this audience is mostly made up of Judeo-Christian conservatives and as flawed as we are, we are amazing people. But those who wish to steal our freedom, steal our souls are even more flawed and in some cases flawed beyond recognition. So much so. I think most believe themselves to be irredeemable. I believe most of the people on the left are so hurt that they don't believe they can come back. They feel like they are evil people, and that's why they want to bully. If you want to call the show, 888-589-8840. They're jealous of our virtues. And, and we're flawed. We admit it. We go, you know what? I'm, I'm not worthy of the grace that I get every day. I know I get up and say that, but I say it with a smile on my face. 
because I know God's plan. He's like, hey, Kevin, you know, you're not worthy of this, which is the reason why you keep trying. The reason why you draw yourself closer. I don't run farther away when things go bad. I get I do what I'm supposed to do. I try to get a little closer. Anyway, they're jealous of us. They hate that we believe in something much bigger than we. They can't stand the idea that we actually live our faith. Worse, folks, Christians, you do beautiful things and you don't look for the cameras. You help people not looking for adoration or spotlight. You help because you can. And the left say you're goody two shoes and they can't stand you when you're being a goody two shoes, particularly when you're not talking about it. Did you ever know somebody who didn't like you because you made them look bad? You you worked a little bit too hard. And they didn't like that. They said, stop working so hard because your hard work is reflecting on me. Until you came, we had a standard. <laughs> and that standard was low. And now here you are disrupting the standard. And they didn't like it. And you're going, but wait a minute, aren't we all you know, trying to make things better for the company. If I can increase productivity and we're all increasing. In other words, it's supposed to make you better. You ever been an athlete and done something? You have you ever I ran track when somebody faster was there. I didn't go. Oh, look at him, Mr. Old fast over there. Why is he running all fast? I was like, man, this is going to be good for the relay team. But they don't want to do that. They get mad at you. Slow down. Or maybe you do just a few too many favors with your cheerful attitude at the job. They don't like you. Well, here's what I would say to you. Don't take it personal. It's not them. I mean, it's them. It's not you. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> it is them. It's them. They can't compete. Now, here's what's interesting. You don't see life as a competition. Christians don't. We're not married by each other. Oh, look at Ted over there. He's got a raise at his job. You know, looks like I'm going to have to go get a raise. You're happy. Hey, Ted, congratulations. And you mean it. It's not a competition. All they got to do is get off their booties and go volunteer, go do something, go make something happen, go be a positive impact on society. But you know what they do? They choose to do nothing except complain. My grandmother would say they got a ham under each arm and they're asking for bread. They call us sanctimonious folks because they can't even live up to our standards, much less God's standards. They fear us because we make them self-analyze. We make them soul search. They become introspective. They detest who they are. So, like I said earlier, they transfer. They are evil. So they got to make you feel evil. And if they are successful, they can make you tear yourself down. You will self-enslave, question yourself. You will question your core values. Am I a racist? I don't know, Kevin. Uh, listen, I got to tell you, during the time of, of George Floyd, I had friends I've known for decades going, Kevin, I got to tell you, man, I, I just am starting to feel a little uneasy. I mean, I'm not a racist, right? And I'm going, hey, come on now, white boy. I've known you a long time. You know you're not racist. Am I homophobic? Am I misogynist? Am I? Am I? Fill in the blank. Am I? God didn't say am I. God said I am. Not am I. I am. That is how he answered the question of who he is. Now, let me ask you this. What do you fill in the blank with those two small words? I am what? What are you? You're an amazing human being 
flawed as God designed you to be. And he made you flawed so you would see his perfection. And he gave you the freedom to choose good versus evil. And we make this choice every day. Most of the time in small things, because God works on us incrementally. The big flaws can be easy to spot, folks. The small ones, not so much. He wants us to see the world properly. And I know this. I don't like what I see in the world. Our freedom is being challenged. Kierkegaard, the founder of existentialism, who affirmed the importance of individual experience and choice and who believed one could only know God through a leap of faith, not doctrine. And he said this, people demand freedom of speech as compensation for freedom of thought, which they seldom use. Well, I'm going to help you out here, folks. The best freedom is being yourself. How about you start there? Uh, let me have you do me a favor and play uh, clip six for me. In terms of identity politics, we know what identity politics does. Uh, it, it divides and it polarizes. No matter how you want to look at it, that's just the effect of it, no matter how great the intentions are. And we all know the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So it's an interesting play right here. I don't know how many people really look into the mission statement of Black Lives Matter. But I did. And when you look into it, there's a couple things that jump out to me. And I'm a black man who's been black and my life has mattered since 1974. And this organization was founded in 2013. I'm proud of you. But I've been fighting this fight for me and for others a lot longer. Two things. My family structure is so vital and important to me. Not only the one I grew up in, but the one I'm trying to create right now. Being a father and a husband, that's my mission in life right now. How do I reconcile that, what I just told you, with this mission statement that says, quote, we dismantle the patriarchal practice. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement. When I know statistics, when I know my reality, forget statistics. I knew this before I even went to Columbia and saw these same statistics that I'm going to read to you right now. That children from single parent homes versus two parent homes. The children from the single parent homes, this is in 1995 I was reading this. Five times more likely to commit suicide. Six times more likely to be in poverty. Nine times more likely to drop out of high school. Ten times more likely to abuse chemical substances. Fourteen times more likely to commit rape. Twenty times more likely to end up in prison. And 32 times more likely to run away from home. I knew that. You know why I knew it? Because a lot of my friends didn't have family structures that were nuclear like mine. And they found themselves outside of their dreams and goals and aspirations. So when I see that, or as a mission statement for Black Lives Matter, it makes me scratch my head. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Kevin Jackson sitting in for Abraham Hamilton III. And that was Marcellus Wiley, ex-NFL great. And he's explaining. This is the black man explaining why he can't be down with BLM. And I get it. Did you did, did you happen to jot down those statistics? Maybe if you can come back and listen to the podcast, you know, the, uh, if they make that available, you should jot down those statistics he talked about. Six times more likely to live in poverty, five times more likely to commit suicide, nine times more likely to drop out of high school, 32 more times likely to run away, 14 times more likely to commit rape and on and on. And and we want to get to the bottom of this. Right. We we want to understand what is the problem in black America? I don't know. Let me just let me think. Oh, well, maybe it's at 72 percent of black kids don't have a, both parents. 
Maybe that's a start. When people talk to me about white privilege, I say, let me tell you where privilege starts. It starts with two parents. How about that to begin with? But no, we are wanting to strip away. They want to talk about Black Lives Matter because bad or you could be killed. Would you go? Would you go? Counting. If, if you have a job on Monday morning, well, you know, it's a different. Bob, it's different. You could either be killed or you're going to go to prison because you do your job and you do it correctly. I ask a that Kevin, I feel so sorry for the young black drugs. And I told him, why are you feeling sorry for these kids? Yeah, you may be talking about. I said, kids, go to work on that corner every day with the potential to die or be arrested. And they do it every day. Hey, I'm Jason from Building 429. You can live a life of purpose, free from addiction and full of hope. My dad was killed by a drunk driver. I turned to drugs and alcohol to hide from my pain. I was just angry. I was lost. I was broken. I was just a mess. After I got charged with my drug felony, I ended up in jail. And I was like, could you say, okay, God, I'm sorry. Help me out of this mess that I've made. I came to Teen Challenge. And if it weren't for God intervening in my life, I don't know where I'd be today. He reached out and rescued me. And now God has given me new life even if you're not struggling with an addiction yourself you may know a teen or an adult who is an adult and teen challenge centers across the country are waiting to help at 855 end addiction or teenchallengeusa.org you're listening to american family radio all right sorry about that folks i'm not sure what happened it's probably on my end but uh, I was I was talking to a CEO and I said to him, you know, I was talking about kids that he wanted to help these kids. He he would talk about driving by. They want a corner dealing drugs and all this. And I asked him, I said, his name is Bill. I said, Bill, would you go back to the office right now if Sarah called you and said, Bill, when you come back, you could either be killed or you could be arrested. Would you go back to the office? And he chuckled. And I said, because that's what those kids do every day. And if I take that kid off the street and train them to do your job, understand this, they will chew you up and spit you out. They are a resource. Unfortunately, that resource is misguided. And what America needs to do is stop feeling sorry for these kids and start feel, figuring out how to, to take that resource and make it into something. Oh boy, we got a lot going on in this country, a lot going on. We got people who want to dismantle a system that has made us the greatest country in the world. I'm thinking of Ilan Omar, a woman who had essentially no freedom and she wants to dismantle the most free system in the world. I would ask you, for those of you who say, Kevin, we need to be diverse. We need multiculturalism. What multiculturalism boils down to is that you can praise any culture in the world except the Western culture 
but you can cannot blame any culture in the world except Western culture. And Thomas Sowell made that as a quote. When you consider that America was, we built this country, our ancestors, we don't need to feel bad about it. But leftism has created a new America like Ilan Omar, an American who, and I'm using my finger quotes, who has no understanding of how this country works. Only in America can a refugee from a war-torn country come here and be successful, in spite of marrying her brother. She lived in refugee God's grace. She was allowed to come to America. She thrives in our country, her new country, so much so that she was elected to Congress. And yet, she decries this country of being occupied by racists and bigots. So much so, the country needs to be completely dismantled. The real irony, she's talking about systems that her party built. See, these are the ironies that we deal with every day. Gavin Newsom, the man who wants to be king of California, he can restrict the freedom of millions of people, but he plays by different rules for himself. Because while he shut down other uh, organizations from having their wineries open, guess what Gavin did? Gavin Newsom said, oh, but it doesn't apply to mine. That's what these people do. It is a different set of rules. Bubba Wallace. Bubba Wallace got into a spat with President Trump and he became a victim, right? Donald Trump said Wallace needed to take responsibility for the hoax that he perpetrated on this country. When he tried to accuse us of being racist because of a knot that was tied on a garage door that he's been seeing for a year. But suddenly now he's so woke, he sees a knot and it's a noose. And of course, it's directed towards him because Bubba says, I want to make NASCAR more open to black folks, as if black people can't participate in NASCAR, as if there's been some kind of ban. So they get rid of the Confederate flag. Bubba says they try to noose in, in my, you know, my thing. And if we find out that the thing's been there for a year, does Bubba come on and apologize? Does he say to America, you know what, guys, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry I saw you that way. I'm sorry that I accused you of being something that you're not. It was my fault. No, he blames Trump and he blames the country. He wants to be the Tiger Woods of NASCAR. Well, I have a, a suggestion, Bubba. How about you start winning? You can call me at 888-589-8840. Listening to Kevin Jackson sitting in for Alec Abraham Hamilton III. We'll be back. Friendships is offering an amazing opportunity for young adults who want to grow in their walk with God, learn relief missions, experience the mission field, and become physically fit. Sound like something you've been looking for? Check out Seahawks one-year scholarship program at friendships.org or call 337-433-5022. That's 337-433-5022. The next session starts August 10th. Mission Outreach, the Middle East. Tuesday on Truth For Life, Alistair Begg offers wise advice for every generation. 
We take our children on our knees and we tell them, listen, honey, if you want to make it, you're going to have to be able to swim upstream. You will never amount to anything if you're always flowing with the group. Listen Tuesday as we continue a series called Jars of Clay on Truth For Life with Alistair Beck. Truth For Life, weekday mornings at 1130 Central on AFR and online at AFR.net. Tearing down American history. This is David Wheaton, host of The Christian Worldview. During the past month, over 100 statues and monuments of American historical figures have been torn down, defaced, or removed by local authorities. Why? Because those with a leftist worldview believe the lie that America was established illegitimately and built by white supremacists. Anyone with a biblical worldview should realize that our founders, just like Old Testament heroes, were sinners like we are. But their contribution to building the freest, most prosperous, compassionate, and next to ancient Israel, most God-fearing nation in history, is worthy of honor. Undeniable progress over past mistakes doesn't matter, though, for those fomenting Marxist revolution. Hear more at thechristianworldview.org, and then tune in this weekend as we discuss the Beatitudes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Listen to The Christian Worldview with David Wheaton, Saturday mornings at 8 Central on American Family Radio. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Uh, my goal as a teacher is, is to impart knowledge and then be able then for them to take it and turn it into wisdom. As we teach, I think, okay, five years down the road, how will the material that I am teaching them really affect their lives and their careers? Hi, Todd Starnes here. Truett offers biblically-centered degree programs. Check out truett.edu slash Starnes. Folks are talking about Jackson, as Johnny Cash once sang of the state capital of Mississippi in turmoil over the city's namesake, Andrew Jackson, given naming rights as a way of celebrating his great victory in New Orleans during the War of 1812. There's a statue of Old Hickory in City Hall, but that statue is on borrowed time. The city council authorized the mayor to remove Andrew Jackson, accusing the former president of heinous acts of genocide. They also said he was a brutal slave owner. The lone conservative on the Jackson City Council opposed the removal of the statue, says the idea of tearing down historical statues and monuments is generally a bad idea. Not only that, it's also un-American. It won't be long before the culture jihadists demand that Mississippi rename its capital city. As you might expect, the folks in the Magnolia State are not too happy about the city council's decision to quote Johnny Cash, they're hotter than a pepper sprout. I'm Todd Starnes. The Hamilton Quarter Podcast and one-minute commentaries are available at AFR.net. Back to the Hamilton Quarter on American Family Radio. All right, everybody, welcome back. We've had a little bit of technical problems on my end. That's what happens when you let a rookie on the mic. <laughs> Abraham's going Abraham's to be like, Kev, what you do to me, bro? <laughs> Sorry about that. Hey, so we didn't get to take any calls because I was struggling on my end. But let me have April come in on, on line one. April, how's it going? It's going great. How are you? Good. Um, I just wanted to say first, before I jump into it, that I enjoyed your uh, show so much yesterday that I searched for your podcast today, um, and I really enjoyed listening to all of that. So um, thank thank you you for that. Um, But, you know, just a little bit about myself. You know, I I never really had a good life growing up. You know, I grew up in foster care, and um, 
and have been physically assaulted and assaulted by parents. And it was probably my early to late 20s before I ever got saved, you know. And um, I had so much anger and resentment towards a lot of just people and just even seeing good relationships really, really bothered me. Um, But when I got saved, you know, I realized that a lot of the stuff that I had been through was so I could relate to others. And it kind of just healed me inside, you know. So when I look back on everything that I've been through, there's no more pain there. Um, And I don't feel, I can't even remember how I felt angry um, when I was younger. But, you know, I think when you were talking about jealousy, I think a lot of it from the left and from a lot of other people have been through the same stuff. And without Jesus there that takes away that pain and helps us heal, that it's just madness. And I think a lot of it, they just don't understand. You know, I had uh, someone, because I'm part Native American, and someone asked me how I could be okay with a lot of other stuff, you know, and that I wasn't uh, part of my roots. Like, I just didn't, I wasn't connected to my roots, you know, and they just don't understand forgiveness. And I think that's a lot of it is just they don't understand our God. Well, April, thank you for the call. Uh, I tell you, she's exactly right. You you go through these these struggles in life and nobody explains what happened. You know, in her case, she had a tragic life growing up and without getting the right kind of help, you you grow up angry. You are mad and you're jealous. You see people. I remember seeing my, my friends with their father and their mother would show up to things. I remember running in a track meet and my my buddy's dad screaming at him, go, Michael, go, Michael, go. And I could beat this kid running backwards. And he beat me because I was so busy looking at his father, giving him such encouragement, something I hadn't seen. I mean, that sounds weird, but that's the kind of stuff that happens. But April's right. You learn from that and you grow from that. And then you pass that on to others. Okay. I believe Doris is on uh, line three. Let's bring Doris in. If I can bring her in. Here we go. Hey, Doris. Yes. You're on. Oh, um, there's a lot of things that I agree with. I am a Christian. I'm a um, black American as well. And I don't agree with Black Lives Matter and everything that they stand for. But I do think that as Christians, we do have to consider the inequality that um, has, has been going on in our country. And I do, I don't think that it's all made up. And I do think that we black and white and whoever you know you are we have to look at ourselves and see what part that we can play and how have we enabled um a system that is not fair and that's what i would like to say but i i i i don't believe that all whites are racist absolutely not i got too many friends and family members that have shown me different and i and i don't believe all blacks are not racist because I have family members and people who are just as bad. So there you go. All right. Well, thanks for the call, Doris. So I would say to Doris that, uh, you know, when we, when people tell me we have to look at this country and the systems and all this kind of a stuff, I, my, my pushback is, well, what do we have to look at? What, what part of the system am I not able to participate in? If you can explain that to me, then I'll be happy to, to, agree with you that black man is oppressed in America, but I don't believe it because there, if you tell me, Kevin, you cannot do this. 
the next thing I'm going to do when I get up the next morning is go do what you tell me I can't do. I mean, as long as it's not illegal. But if you challenge me, I'm going to I'm going to accept the challenge. All right. We've got a young lady. I believe it's Marie who lives in France. Marie, how are you? Oh, I am. Well, thank you. And I am so glad you're taking my call. Uh, I enjoy your show, and uh, I listen to Abe, you know, when he comes on. And uh, I want to tell you who I am. I was born at the border of France and Belgium during World War II. And uh, my husband is a retired soldier, uh, combat veteran, and uh, he's a black man. And I'm Caucasian, and we have a very mixed family. And uh, some of uh, one of our sons, sons are they're white, Caucasian like I am, although their father is black. But we're very mixed. And uh, we, I grew up, I guess, in hard times. But when I came to this country to follow my soldier husband, I was in the embassy in Paris. And at the time, in 1956, we had people, the Hungarians, coming, running away from the Russian communism. And they were on their knees thanking the Lord when the consul was coming to let them know that they were allowed to come to America. And uh, as a mixed family, we're all brothers and sisters in my family. We all love each other. We don't look at color. Uh, veterans and military. I worked in the military. I worked for the Department of Defense as a civilian. And we never looked at color. All the soldiers, all the all the troops worked together. Nobody looked at the color. And of course they do, and that's what most of Americans do as well. And, the, and we've had opportunities. My husband grew up in Alabama, 30-some miles from Selma, in hard times also. But he's a proud American. He doesn't consider himself an African-American. He's a black man. <laughs> Good and we're proud him. of who we are because we know who we are in the eyes of the Lord. And I want to point out something. You know, in the Bible it says, you know, who the accuser of the brethren is. We know, we know Satan is the accuser of the brethren. We know that. And he says, do not go to sleep on your wrath. He says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And you know, I think we're in a Joshua moment. You know when Joshua said, now choose ye whom you shall serve. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. It is time for all the people who go to all their black and white churches, who it is, to remember that. I agree. Well, listen, Marie, uh, merci uh, pour le, le, le call. Enchanté de faire votre connaissance. But I've got to get, get to other calls. So we've got, uh, let's see, I think Billy is calling from Alabama. Hey, Billy. Hi. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, I just wanted to say I believe the problems boil down to Jesus said, go ye therefore and teach, and not enough people are going and teaching the Word of God. And we're the spiritual darkness is abounding in this moment. I agree. I think America's in a dark period. Thanks for the call, Billy. America's in a dark period, and it's the only thing that's going to save us is if people really recognize you know, I hear a lot of people talk about, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. No, you better get religious. You better understand that there is something bigger than you. That's what should be driving you. All right. John is on the phone from Louisiana, it looks like. Hey, John. Hey, Kevin. How you doing? Good, man. Hey, man. Look, I love you. You the man that wrote the book, um, Government, Please Stop Helping Us? 
No, that was um oh gee uh Riley. Uh Okay, okay. Jason Riley. All right. All right, all right, all right, but you're doing a fine job today. I just want to talk to you about I've been noticing there's a lot of prominent black people that's been talking about, you know, how racist this country is the the most successful right. black people that I know. And I remember reading about Margaret Sanger. She I think they're using Margaret the Democrats are using Margaret Sanger's strategy. She said back in the day when she was trying to start Planned Parenthood and we need to get some uh some black people with engaging personalities. We need to um train them according to our ideals and the goals that we hope to reach. And I see right. these black people like uh Obama uh, and other black politicians as Democrats, they are being used by the Democratic Party. They have been trained to keep black people where they're at in the positions. I call them overseers of the modern-day plantation. They're successful. I remember Obama would preach about race, give speeches about race, and then he turned right around and go to Martha's Vineyard and play golf with a bunch of white people. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, John, I got a quick question for you. I got to move on. So how many blacks, how many blacks do you know that you feel like feel as you do, but aren't willing to say it, you know, in terms of your family, your friends? What, what are you feeling? You think there's, you know, 20 percent, 30 percent? I would say mm, not that high. I wouldn't say 20 percent because I, I honestly don't have many. I mean, I'm, I stay in arguments with them most of the time. So <laughs> I get it, <laughs> but but I'll, I'll, I'm gonna have to let you go because I want to get Mike on before I have to cut the show off. But let me tell you, I think it's more than people think. All right, so Mike, I think I've got you on. Oops, I locked you. Yes, Mike. Mike? There you go. Yes. Thank you for taking my call. Sure, man. Uh, I just want to agree. I want to agree the caller before who said that Christians should be teaching because when Jesus arose from the dead. He uh, purposely waited 40 to 50 days, Pentecost to come, to pour out the Spirit to empower Christians to take the Word, the law, to the nations of the world. On that feast day, Pentecost, they celebrated the giving of the law. The thing the Jews missed was the giving of the law was celebrated because of instructing the world, to be a light to the world. So on Pentecost, God said, no person now needs to apologize for their ethnicity whatsoever. That's why Luke went through the long list of names of who was at the feast. God was saying, now the whole world can know my will and my way. And that's Christianity. We have the anointing, the Holy Spirit, to speak to people and make that clear case for Christ. I agree. Mike, thanks for the call. So here's what I want to say about what Mike said in the previous caller and others. As Christians, we want to talk about the Bible in the sense of, of uh, and, and there are going to be some people that differ with me. My brother is one who has a PhD in theology. I say to people, you don't have to quote from Ephesians. You don't have to quote from Deuteronomy to me it, to make me change. You can talk to me in regular talk that is biblical talk, and you can reach more people that way. The minute, and I and I, I will tell you this as a Christian, when people bring their Christianity, Kevin, like it says in the Bible, my, that is one of the biggest flags for me is, okay, I'm going to watch you for a bit. <laughs> because so many people have completely, you know, they, they come as snakes in the grass in the name of God. 
And I would just say to you, talk to people. Just, you know, when I'm talking to my kids, I don't need to quote scripture. I, you know, my son, we talk about all the time. He'll say, oh, dad, why don't we just do this or that? And I go, because I would be stealing. Like he'll say, why don't we just take this or whatever? And, and it's not a big deal. It'll be something very little. And I'll go, because that's stealing. I don't go, because the Bible says, I go, that's not what we do. We don't do this. And so I think that if we can just start delivering our messages it, it, as our as a part of our lives, and I'm not saying for those of us who, you know, who know the Bible and you want to deliver it, if that's your way, God bless you. You should do it. But my way is to be a, a person who believes in Christ, is a Christ follower, and just goes and does what I do. And then when I'm talking to people, when I ask people about Black Lives Matter, I go, don't you think it's rather racist, you know, for you to to uh, not say, you know, to to feel that way or to make something, you know, about that. So all I'm saying is, you know, don't, you know, don't be sanctimonious. Just go out and tell people your story. Talk about, you know, why you have a level of comfort that you might have that other people didn't. When the, uh, the What brought me to Christ was at my great grandfather's funeral. We were all crying like babies, all the men in my family, but my brother wasn't. He was stoic and he loved my great grandfather like anybody else. And I looked at him trying not to cry because I, I'd be a, not be a man if I didn't cry. And I looked at him and I said, you know, Kirk, how do you do it? And he says, because I know where Papa's going. And, that, and I said, whatever that strength is, I want that. And that's the reason why I decided I'd give my life to God. I want to feel that strength. I don't want to fear death. Death is nothing. It's just it's a it's a product of life. So anyway, hey, thanks for letting me sit in, guys. Thanks for the phone calls. Thank you, Abraham Hamilton III, for letting me be, uh, it, you know, sitting in your stead. And I, for you guys who want to find me again, it's thekevinjacksonshow.com and check out bleedingbluemovie.com. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.